0: everyone is looking for purpose for a life that matters and we want to be a church that helps people find that this is the collective church podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in london ontario here's this past week's message from our pastor tyler from Well, good morning, and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. We're glad that you are with us. We're excited to be continuing this series called Extraordinary, where we look at Proverbs and we mine it for all these principles and wisdom that we can apply to our lives. And what's so amazing about Proverbs is that there are things that we learn about in 2022 and go, "Wow, this is new. I had no idea." that we look back and go, actually, I think Solomon knew that a long time ago, and in fact, God knew that way before him. There's things that we can look at in this book that teach us, but the value of wisdom is not in knowing more. The value of wisdom is in applying it to our lives. And so we want to look at a passage today that I think is Significant, and the passage is Proverbs 11 24 to 25. Are you ready? 24 to 25, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen. If you can trust yourself with going on your phone and not getting inundated with what your latest score in Candy Crush is or whatever your social media addiction of the moment is, you can go to Proverbs 11 on your phone. Proverbs 11 24 to 25 says this Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, in case, uh, I, I, didn't, I definitely didn't bury the lead here, okay? We're going to talk about money and we're going to talk about generosity. And I know some of you, especially if you're brand new, are like, really? I had to come here for this Sunday where we're talking about money? This guy? can you talk about something different? And, and I know that there's, there's, uh, there's emotion to money. There's emotion to generosity. There's stuff that we wrestle with. And maybe there's certain objections you have. Maybe you walk in and you hear, okay, he's talking about money, and you immediately go in a couple different directions. Um, maybe the, the first one is when you're like, why the heck does this guy need to talk about money? Like, why does he, can't we talk about other things, spiritual things, another? okay? Or maybe you're going, The lie that some of us sometimes wrestle with is, is that all the church wants is just my money. Why does he need to talk about money and is this all the church wants? Let me just address both of those things. Uh, First, why does he talk about money? Um, Because Jesus talked about money a lot, way more than we wish he did. We love to, to talk about Jesus as representing this love, but Jesus talked a lot about money and the grip that it has on us. And as a church, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus, which means that if Jesus talked about it, then we want to talk about it. I don't want to avoid things that are difficult or emotionally, uh, emotionally charged. If God is asking us, if Jesus is modeling for us that we need to talk about it, then we want to talk about it. And I just know if we didn't, that I would be disobedient. And frankly, as much as I love every single person in the room, I care more about what God thinks than everyone else. <laughs> and so there's this wrestle here in going, okay, so Jesus talks about money. This is significant. And then the other thing is, does all the church want is just my money? And let me just be the first one to say, no. We want so much more for you than from you, always. But if Jesus talks about money, and one of the things that he identifies is that money becomes a stronghold in our life, and it represents idolatry, where we put our hope and our trust in money rather than him, it, it it means that we need to actually talk about it and talk about what does it mean to be free from the grip of money, from the love of money. Because as a church and as leaders, we want you not to hold on to that, not to follow the way of the world, but instead the way of Jesus. We want you to experience freedom in the area of money. If you're in the room and you uh, would say, I'm not sure I follow Jesus, or I'm not sure I want to follow the way of Jesus, or I'm kind of on the fence Um, I, I want you get to listen in on some family conversations. For the rest of us that would say, I'm a Jesus follower. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. We need to pay careful attention to our life and especially pay attention to our relationship with money. If we notice that having more, getting more, keeping more is guiding our lives, is controlling the decisions that we make, then we can recognize and identify something's out of order something's not quite in its rightful place. And we need to pay attention to that. I I think a lot, I don't know if you've ever sang the song when he sang, God, you can have my heart. Lord, you can have my heart. And this is, we, we sing it and we go, Lord, you can have my heart. You can have all of me. Except this. This you can't have but you can have everything else in my life except, you know what, uh, I'm busy a lot and so I don't know if I have time for you. And so money or otherwise, anything that we're saying to Jesus, hey, this is off limits to you, should be a, a signal for us. Anything that we go, you can have all of me except for that and this and that and we wrestle with as Jesus followers who is the Lord of our life, Who have we surrendered our life to? For those of us that follow the way of Jesus, it's Jesus at the center of everything. Everything. Nothing is off limits. Everything comes under his lordship and guidance. He gets to tell us how to live. We choose his way of life, not our way of living. And, and my hope would be even for all of us to pay careful attention in our lives to the areas that we put guardrails around and we say, God, I love you, but if you can just avoid touching that, that would be ideal. And notice that those are areas often of idolatry. Money so often becomes an idol for us. It becomes something we put our hope in, our trust in, and we elevate it. We put it higher than anything else and And can I just be honest, this is not just a struggle for people to have a lot. This can be a struggle for people that don't have a lot. Money can be the object of our focus, the center of everything that we do. I was even thinking about it this week as I was preparing and and uh, I, I never want to present this image like somehow. Uh, we've got it figured out. And if you could just do what we do, then everything would be perfect. I want to be honest about even the things that I notice in my own life. Like when I'm saying to you, you need to do that in your life, I want you to know that that's been one of the things that I've been doing even this week. And I noticed something. I noticed something that I'm not proud of. I noticed, Lee and I are going in September on a trip. uh, We're going to go to Portland for this pastor's conference. And one of the pieces of that is I want to make sure we have some margin financially so we can cover things while we're down there. And so uh, I've noticed that every single day, without fail this week, I started my morning and I picked up my phone and I checked our bank balance. Every single morning. I didn't wake up and go, uh, I'm going to pray, thank God for giving me breath, invite God to lead me that day. I didn't open up my uh, Bible app and read a scripture? No, I looked at our money. Now, is that good? Not even a little bit. Like, I don't look at that and go, well, no, every, it's fine. It's fine. I, I, it, it signals to me, okay, something is out of order here. My focus is off. And I want us to be a community that are actually willing, one, to be honest about it, and two, to wrestle with that stuff. Like, to look at our lives and go, hey, something is off here. And and I don't like that, and I'm gonna do something about it. We need to actually look in our lives and go, what what am I focusing my attention on? What has my heart? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Is it Jesus or is it my bank account? Is it my job? Is it my security? What, What has my heart? What actually has my attention and my focus? And in the area of our finances, Does Jesus actually have our heart and our trust, or are we trusting in our money? I want to pray for us, and then I want to dig in. God, I am so aware that the conversation around money for so many of us has all sorts of connotations and weight. And so I ask that you would be the one that speaks. God, take any word from my mouth that is my word, and instead, God, we need your words speak to us, challenge us. Pray that you would uh, even just convict us, but, but help us not to feel condemnation, instead to feel this sense of we actually can make a change. We don't have to keep going the way that we've been going. If you want to disrupt us or guide us or step on our toes, God, we want that. I want that. God, we want to follow your way of life in all areas. I pray that you would be present, Holy Spirit. We need you to guide us, to illuminate your words, and to invite us into transformation. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I opened up by looking at that passage in Proverbs. I don't want to hit it, but I want to actually unpack it. But what's really interesting, even about that passage, is we we find... Two verses that are powerfully, like jam packed with a bunch of good stuff, that actually have some theological distinctives in it that we see throughout Scripture. One of the things that's so fascinating about the Bible, this Bible is what's called a meta narrative. There's one overarching story, and really, really simple. We have creation and then fall. And then we have redemption and restoration. We have this as an overarching story. through this entire Bible, we have themes and patterns. There are principles and things that you go, huh, I've heard this before. One of the things that's so valuable about not just reading Scripture, like, you know, people that have the mugs with Scripture or the, the, the paintings of their house, and you go, go for it. But if we don't, if we don't read it large, in large chunks, we miss out some of the patterns through Scripture. Some of the things that you go, I think I've heard that before. And you're like, yeah, because multiple people along with Jesus have echoed the same thing. And so let me just reread Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. And then I want to show you another area where it connects with that's significant for us. So it says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now here we find a significant and powerful principle, the idea that you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. It's a practical principle, and it's a significant spiritual principle we see throughout Scripture. Now, anyone in here a farmer? Uh, That's what I thought. I did not anticipate anyone was like, I'm a farmer, okay? Okay. Though not many of us maybe understand the ins and outs of agriculture, we do instinctively understand this principle. If you're craving apples, you do not put kernels of corn in the ground, right? If you're like, I just want an apple tree, give me the corn on the cob, right? What do you do? You take apple seeds and you plant them in the ground and you hope for the best that you will get an apple tree that at some point will give you apples. You reap what you sow. You can't expect to get one thing at the end of the process without investing the right things along the way to get you there. This is a significant spiritual principle that often we get out of whack because we look at our lives and I've done this and you go, I don't know if I like this area. I don't know if I like what I'm currently reaping, and we rarely pay attention to what we're sowing along the way. This, this idea is echoed throughout Scripture. It's echoed in one passage I want to look at in Galatians. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible is split up into two parts: the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what what signals the shift is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus. But after that, we have a whole lot of books, many of which are written by someone named the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was someone that persecuted Christians, came face to face with Jesus, and his whole entire life changed. And then he started planting churches, starting churches. And then he wrote books that we have in Scripture that were letters to the church that he started, the churches that he started. And so I want to look at one that he wrote, a section that he wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians 6, 7 to 10, and it speaks to this idea of sowing and reaping. So I want you to pay attention to where we see that. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now here, the Spirit is speaking about the Holy Spirit, the member of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those who sow to the Spirit, those who live to to, uh, please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. That passage, verse 9, that's, so let's not grow tired of doing what is good. We often say that to each other as we're doing things that are difficult. Don't, don't get tired. It's helpful for us to know the whole context of that. Because it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about, what am I investing my effort and energy into? Is it, is it my sinful nature, or is it the way of the Spirit This talks about this idea. So it says, you will always harvest what you plan. It's other translations say, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. This is sowing and reaping. We find this this principle multiple times in Scripture. And and I don't want to take you to every single place, because I think sometimes you're like, I can't even barely track with you. I just want to look at these two. Two areas that point in the same direction to a principle that is so foundational to our faith that I think sometimes we lose sight of. In your life, every single day, you choose what you invest your effort into, your focus to, your attention toward. You choose that. You're not a victim of every other circumstance. It's not a victim of, my life is so busy, so I can't. You choose what you focus your attention on, You choose what you focus your your thoughts on. You you choose that. And by choosing that, you are sowing into something. You are either sowing into what what Paul talks about as the sinful nature. The early church talked about this as the flesh. This is the part of you that is in opposition to the way of Jesus. This is your old self. And so you're choosing. I'm either sowing into that self. Or I'm sowing into the way of Jesus, the way of the Spirit, the the way that God has designed things to be. We choose every single day, in every single moment, which one we're sowing into. All of us in our lives, we look at areas, you go, "Ah, I'm wrestling with this, and I'm struggling to do this, and I'm doing the things that I know I shouldn't do, and I'm getting the results I don't want to get. And then other areas, we find ourselves, and we're going, no, I'm doing the things that maybe seem difficult, but they're leading me towards life. This idea of sowing and reaping is, is so significant to our spiritual life. And think about even just this, the sowing and reaping in the context of the verse I read at the beginning in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Here is the reality. You become what you invest in. You become the sum total of what you invest the majority of your effort, energy, time, schedule, money, all of that. You become that. And if you find yourself continually investing in the sinful nature, and at the core, you know what the sinful nature is? Me. It's all about me. All about what I want. The way of Jesus is is not just about the self and the individual. The cultural value is what? Me. Me. I want this. I want it now. I'll go into debt for it because it will make me feel better, okay? When we invest in the sinful nature, what does Paul tell us? We actually harvest death and decay. Does that sound good? Like, do you ever watch advertisements where, you're like, if you buy this car, everything will get better, but also death and decay will come your way? No, it would not sell very well, But there's this reality that that there are things that we think, okay, this is what I want, and this is what I need, and sometimes those things are at odds with what God is saying to us. And when it comes to even this passage in Proverbs, we go, okay, um, if I invest in being not generous in my sinful nature, I, I, I lose everything. But if I invest in generosity, I actually experience life and I become wealthier. How, do, how does that make sense? What does it look like to, to reap and sow in this way? So, so we understand, okay, even just the idea that we, we don't get an apple tree by planting kernels of corn. So we understand sowing and reaping. But how often do we think in terms of our financial situation what that looks like? For us to sow and reap either towards the way of Jesus or our sinful nature, the way of Jesus is, a sacrificial, is sacrificial generosity, and the, the way of our sinful nature is self-centered. It's all for me all the time, and, and the reason we know that it's sacrificial generosity is because Jesus got up, got up on the cross and gave everything, everything for us, and we're invited to do the same. We see the early church where they went, hey, there's people in need, so we give, we give. and we combine, and we, we figure out how everyone has what they need, this it's not just about me. This is in opposition to often what we believe culturally. So this idea of sowing and reaping is significant. Now, let me just focus our attention briefly away from something as emotionally charged as money and to go something to something really neutral, like gossip. That's not emotionally charged, right? Gossip. Step on some toes here. When we sow gossip, what happens? We have people that we're around that are people that are gossipers. Do they have many close relationships? No. Because when you sow gossip, what do you reap? Mistrust. Like you can say, if you are living your life and saying, you know what I really, really want? I want deep, meaningful relationships with people, friendships, romantic relationships with people that they're with me and for me. If you want that and you trash people behind their back or talk about people behind their back, it does not lead to it, right? I think we all know that. And, and in 2022, we've tried to make it innocuous. We call it spilling tea, right? I'm just spilling tea. And you go, well, think about that just from a like, practical perspective. You spill tea, someone gets burned, right? And you go, I'm just doing this. And you look at your life and you go, okay, I'm reaping dysfunctional relationships that don't seem to be very close and it seems like I'm sowing gossip, that's connected, right? That what we sow becomes what we reap. If, if we sow into gossip, we, we have relationships that lack trust. If you compare that to people that sow into strong, trusting relationships where they talk to each other and they share and they, and they care for and guide and guard people, those people tend to have really close relationships. You look at their life and you go, okay, it seems like you are reaping what you are sowing. People that use their words to build others up tend to be encouraging people to be around, right? Sowing and reaping. If you sow discord, if you are all about the drama, what does your life reap? So much drama. Like we see it. People are like, yeah, my life is super dramatic. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Because that's all you look for. That's all you pay attention to. That's what you invest your energy. It's the drama and you live for that and it becomes this chaotic life. Is that what you want? If you sow negativity, what do you reap? Negativity. And it's not like about some like false, phony, positive thinking. Like everything's great, nothing's wrong. I'm not talking about it. I'm just saying if you want to find things that have gone wrong, given enough effort, you'll find them. Like, you'll look and go, like, this person did this, and this didn't work out, and, and you miss, and this is the part that I think is so hard, is you miss all the times that actually there's some really amazing times that God has redirected, or God has provided. If we sow into that, if we actually sow into this perspective that goes, God is at work whether I can see it or not, and, and we're looking for, we'll find the areas that he is at work. If we sow faith, what do we reap? We become more faithful and faith-filled. If we're like, God can do it. I believe it. When he does, we don't, we don't go like, oh, well, whatever. We go, I knew it. What else might God be leading us into? Sowing and reaping. And I want us as a church to pay careful attention in our life to how that how, how what we're reaping is directly connected to what we consistently sow. Now, you might, you might hear about some of this and go, uh, is that karma? Like, are, are, is that? Because, like, let me just be clear. We don't believe in karma. Karma is a, a Hindu idea that um, you are, your life is the sum total of previous lives and all the mistakes that you've ever made and you're where you are. That's not what we believe. I, when I talk to Christians and they're like, yeah, that was karma, I'm like, hold on. <laughs> time out, time out. That's not what we believe. At at the core of our faith and relationship to Jesus, we actually find the opposite of karma. The beauty, the message of Jesus, the gospel, is that we get what we don't deserve, okay? What we do deserve is separation, because what we do with our life is we say, God, I'll take it from here. I don't need you. And God goes, okay. And then we go, well, I'm lost and I'm lonely. And he goes, yeah, that's because you don't have a relationship with me, but you chose that. You go, I want to make it right. I'll just do more, try hard. He goes, you can't. You can't do it. So he sends his son Jesus to bridge the gap, to make a way for us to live the life we could never live, to pay the price we could never pay, to restore the relationship we could never restore. We get what we don't deserve. This is the nature and the center of our faith in Jesus. The problem is for so many Christians, we punch our ticket and we go, now I'm good, justified by faith. Now I have grace, unmerited favor before God, and it really doesn't matter how I live. And that's the disconnect. Because we do get what we don't deserve. And then Jesus gives us a new life and a new way of living. He says, follow me. And that's where we go, uh, yeah, maybe like Sunday between the hours of 10 and 11.30 I'll do that. But there's... uh, I've got so much going on. My life is so busy. You don't know. And we choose to sow into a life that does not reflect Jesus. How we live actually matters. What we are sowing into matters. And we need to pay attention to how we live. We need to pay attention to the decisions that we are making every single day. Here's the. There's a weight to it. Who you become in the long haul is a byproduct of the consistent choices you make today. And there's a part that's like, that's not glamorous. I don't know about you. I want immediate results, right? I want to know, God, if I read my Bible today, I want you audibly to speak out loud. (laughs) And God does not work like that. God goes, "Um, every day I want you to focus your attention on me. Every single day. And then you look back over years and you go, I'm becoming more and more like who you want me to be. And suddenly the things that used to derail me or distract me actually I see is divine interruptions leading me to what you want. It's the long haul. And when we continually sow into our sinful self-centered nature, we harvest death and decay. And when we continually sow into the way of Jesus and life in the Spirit, we find life to the full. Death or life. Says so the message of Jesus. We choose. And we get in, this, in these every single day to choose what am I fix, focusing my attention and my effort into? Is it Am I sowing into becoming more and more like Jesus or am I sowing something different? This is why... If you spend time with certain people, you spend time with certain Christians that are older, and there's something magnetic. Like one of our one of our overseers, Steve and Beth, Steve has spoken a few times. When we spend time with Steve and Beth, we walk out of there feeling so refreshed and encouraged. And, and when they talk, they exude. They speak scripture and they talk about following, but they exude the way of Jesus. Why? Because for year over year over year, day over day over day, week by week by week, they sowed into the way of Jesus shaping and forming them, not their sinful nature. Now, are they imperfect? Yes. They've had to wrestle that down and they continue to wrestle it down. But you spend time with them and you go, I see obedience over the long haul. Eugene Peterson talks about it as obedience in, in the, or long obedience in the same direction. And that's again a struggle in a culture that wants instantaneous. It's every single day. This is why we can spend time with other people that say they're Christians, they've got the bumper sticker and everything. And we're around them. We're like, oh like I don't mean to be judgmental, but I don't want to be around you. Like you're mean and bitter and and like I I don't, it's because you see people that in name they follow Jesus, but every single day they've struggled to sow and they sow towards their sinful nature. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to go around like trying to keep track. You know, like talking to someone, you're like, well, I can see where you sow. Like I'm not talking about for us to get arrogant and, and, and like those are the worst kind of, I'm just saying pay attention Pay attention when you spend time with certain people. They're like, why is it that I just, I'm drawn to them? Why is it that I I love being around them? Why is it that when I'm around them, I'm filled up? Usually, if they're Christians, it's because of this. Because we see the long haul, and we see how they navigated difficulty. Difficulty is always the environment that we actually see. Is my faith what I thought? And when we face difficulty, we choose. Am I going to follow the way of Jesus, or am I going to follow my own way. And the people that continually follow the way of Jesus tend to have a really, a way better outlook, a way better perspective. This is why you're around some people that are older or maybe have been around for a while and they face something challenging. They're like, yeah, but God's got it. I've seen him work in the past. I'll see it again. You're like, well, this is like a big deal. Like, are you sure? Yeah, I've watched it. God has been faithful. And other people, and I've had times where I'm like, how? And God's like, I just did it. I just did it. And you're like, yeah, but will you do it again? Will you do it again? Because I'm, I'm worried. I'll do it. I'll take it from here. And God goes, How's that work for you when you try to do it your own way? Not so good, right? And so we choose our sinful nature or the way of Jesus. And what I want for us as a church is for us to be a community that sows to the way of Jesus, not the way of ourself that takes this passage in Proverbs 11 seriously that actually wrestles with God on implications of what does this mean for us. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Notice here it says give freely, not reluctantly, not because people are watching. It's not one of those things where it's like, well, what will people think? Give freely. And we give freely as Jesus followers because we know that he gave his life freely for us. And beyond that, so many of us that have followed Jesus for any length of time have experienced the generosity of other Christians. Like, Lee and I have stories of people coming up and blessing us when we had very, very little. We had this, this one couple that came up to us. When, I, when we moved out to Calgary, um, I was doing my master's degree and working at a church, and uh, our rent, I think, tripled, almost tripled. And my salary for year one was $15,000. Okay, now I know 15,000 sounds like a lot, but you spread it over 12 months. It was not a lot, right? And so we're going, God, we trust you. We are walking in this and we are faithful. And, and for us, we prioritized even tithing. And you're going like, I don't know how all this is gonna work. And we had couples that, a, a few times that came by and were like, hey, we want you to take, go out on a date on us. Now, when that happens, do you know what it makes you want to do? It makes you want to do that for other people when you can. It doesn't make you go like, thanks, what else you got? Any more money? Next week, Tuesday, same time? Like, none of that. No. We see instead that when we experience people giving freely to us in generosity, we want to do the same. That, it, that we experience something where we go, oh, this is what it's meant to be. And I've learned this truth that we find here that that people who give freely become more wealthy, that people that are generous, ironically, tend to have more stories of God's generosity. They just tend to have more stories of where God has shown up for them. They went, um, so I stepped out and I did this because God asked, and then God did something that I was not expecting. Now, let me just clarify. This is not about transactional generosity. This is not about prosperity gospel. If you give, God will double your money. That's not biblical, okay? And if we're giving just to get, that, that's a dysfunctional, heart, a dysfunctional heart posture. This is about transformational generosity. This is about being generous and then recognizing we get to this place where you go, um, None of my money is my own anyway. God's given all of it to me, and I get to give a portion back to him, and I get to give to others. And I'm so grateful that God continues to provide for me. And when I give, I experience something significant. I experience blessing. I experience a life that looks different than I expected it to look, And there can be times that God will, as you step out in generosity, will provide for your needs. Like Phoebe shared it last week. If you haven't watched Five for Five, I would highly recommend it. I am so incredibly grateful for the depth of leadership that we have on our team. People that share that you're like, they could preach, they could speak. And when you spend time with them, you are inspired by what they are learning and have learned and continue to apply. Phoebe talked about when she looked at her, she actually set a budget, which for some of us set a budget. You suddenly go, man, all my money went to the convenience store or eating out or whatever. Pay attention to where your money's going, but she set a budget and she committed to tithe. And then what she noticed is she was able to pay off all her debts in a way that did not make sense and a timeline didn't make sense. And then she had money left over or what she called miracle money that she couldn't account for. I've heard stories like that. Lee and I have experienced things like that where you're like, wow, this does not make any sense. But is this only what this is talking about? That if we give, that God will just somehow pour on money and money to us and we'll be just loaded. No, it might be money, it might be wealth, as the world doesn't define it. Lee and I, so when we moved out to Calgary, Lee works for Compassion as a graphic designer, and Compassion works all across the world, releasing children from poverty in the name of Jesus. And, and through that, it's it's through sponsorship. So we sponsor a little girl in, well, she's not so little anymore, in Uganda, right, Uganda. And uh, and so when we moved out to Calgary, uh, when we told when Lee told people at her work where she was going, they're like, wait, is that so-and-so's church? And, and it was this, she was this lady that single woman by herself, so she's single woman, like not an opulent job, by herself sponsored over 100 children. Over 100 kids. Now, just, just for some context, uh, each kid, it's like $50 a month. She had over 100 by herself. And you know how she lived? Simply. Everything extra went to these kids. Everything. She got vacation time. Guess where she went? To visit her kids. She had time. She was writing the kids. She was giving towards. And you know what? She exuded wealth, but not like the world defined it. She exuded this wealth of joy that honestly, you'd be around her and you're like, you're just inspired. And what does it do? It causes you to go, what does it look like for us to be more generous and give more freely? See, sometimes God will do things and he'll ask us to give because he wants to to provide for us. And sometimes he'll ask us to give so that we can be a blessing and receive a blessing that does not make sense to the world. Where you experience wealth that you go, I am wealthy. And you're like, that woman wasn't wealthy. She wasn't rolling in it. She didn't have the newest car. She didn't have all the stuff. She had wealth that the world could not define. This is the way of jesus and this passage tells us that the generous will prosper those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed we saw that in her life we've been around people that this is what they exude and as they give they find themselves refreshed and when we are the answer to someone else's prayer in our community it it fills up our tank when we have margin because we've budgeted to be able to provide for needs or when things come up and we can take care of it, it doesn't make us go like, oh, man, they need something. We're like, I get to give to someone. I get to be generous, to reflect this. And when we do it, it makes us feel like this is why I do what I do. This is why I sacrifice for the sake of others. When we're able to be generous to others, we're, a- we're able to see the world as it should be. It's suddenly what seems like a sacrifice doesn't feel a whole lot like a sacrifice. In fact, it just feels like a blessing that we are able to give. The reality is it's all God's money anyway. Like if we follow Jesus, we died our old self. We say it's not me that lives, but you in me. All of our money is his. All of it. And he says, give me 10%. And we go, hmm he says, give me 10% and watch what I can do with 90. I can do way more with 90 than you can with 100. We trust him with our finances. And my prayer for you as you live in a generous way would be that you experience, verse 25, that as you are generous, you fall, that you experience this refreshing that does not make sense to those around you and yet is divine. This sense of as you refresh others that you find yourself refreshed. When we sow into a life of generosity, we reap blessings. That's not just financial, though maybe if God wants to do that, it can be. It can be all sorts of other things. And when we sow into a life of self, we reap something that doesn't look a whole lot like the way of Jesus. When I put me at the center of my life, then I notice that things are out of order, and Galatians says, I will reap death and decay. But when I live my life with God at the center, living in a way that is generous, encouraged to bless others, sowing into this way of Jesus, I experience life in the full and our invitation in all areas of our life, money is one of them, to actually put money in the rightful place, to put all of our area, all of our life in, in order, to come to before Jesus and go, uh, am I out of order here? Like to actually ask that question and, and be okay with him giving you the answer, maybe if you don't like it. Like to go, are all, are all my, am I sowing in the right things? Am I investing my energy and my time and my effort into the right things? Following the way of Jesus, and this is the costly part that sometimes we soft sell. We're like, follow Jesus and your life will get better. And I believe that. But also when you follow Jesus, you'll give up everything. You'll get something better but you don't get the halfway kind of go like, I'll give up part of my life. Instead he says, give it all to me and watch what I can do. When we follow the way of Jesus, it means we die to our preferences for our time. And some of us are like, I don't don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time for people. And when we follow the way of Jesus, we die to that. Suddenly our preferences for our time are not ours anymore. We die to our preferences for our talents and our gifts, the things that make us unique. Suddenly that's not just for us anymore, it's for others, and we die to our preferences for our money. But what we think we're giving up in the short term, actually in the long term, is counted as rich blessing. Give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So, this idea of sowing and reaping. My hope is that there's something that the Holy Spirit is going like, hey, uh, you've been sowing in this direction and reaping this, this is why. But you might be wondering, like, what, do I, what do I do with this? Okay, so he's made the point. We sow and reap. If we sow generosity, we reap generosity. Okay, I, I notice this pattern of sowing and reaping. I'm connecting it in my life. What do I do? You know what I would really encourage you to do? One of the things that's so challenging for me as a preacher is I sometimes have people that are like, that was really, really good, and then they never do anything with it. Like, they don't go like, yeah, what do I, how do I, wh- where do I, apply some of this. And so my encouragement would be before God, as we worship, you, you can do it as we're together, audit your life. Like actually go, what am I sowing into? If I was to look at my bank account, what am I sowing into? Am I sowing into a life of generosity or am I sowing into a life that is all about my sinful nature? Reflect and ask. And if you find yourself not sowing into a life of generosity. I want to encourage you to ask God, God, what would you invite me to do? And then do that. I don't want you to feel this pressure of going, I need to do, I need to do what he's asking me to do because I feel like I, I, he's going to look at me poorly. Because it's not any of that. This is between you and God. What I do want to do is confront excuses. Because we all have them. When I, then I will. And we'll always find them. If I have enough, then I'd be generous then. But the truth is, if you're not generous now, you probably won't be generous then. And we go, well, if it's a larger amount, well, what if God's not asking you to give a large amount? What's, what if he's just asking you to give a small amount that, that is costly? Like, what if he, have you asked him honestly? I don't want you ever to do things because I said so. I want you to come before God and go, God, what do you want me to do? What are you trying to get out of order? My job is to, is to tell you the truth, to do my best to unpack scripture, and then to trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding and changing and transforming in you. Maybe you need to start small. Maybe you need to plan. Maybe you need to budget. Maybe you need to begin to think, okay, what does it look like to sow today? Let's not be people that live in tomorrow. Tomorrow I will. What if it's today? Maybe you're listening and you've given consistently. Maybe you've been faithful and you've experienced the, the beauty of what it means to live generously. And I want to encourage you, don't give up. In fact, I want to speak that verse over you. Verse 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Keep inviting God into your plans. Keep inviting God into your bank account, into your time, into your... Keep sowing into the way of Jesus. Don't give up. Maybe you've experienced, like Phoebe talked about, actually like the whole panel talked about last Sunday, where you have moments of God's generosity that's changed your life and maybe the step for you is you need to share those stories. You need to build other people's faith to go God is able to provide and here's how God blessed me. Maybe not monetarily, maybe in ways that are so much better. To share those stories. Maybe you're hearing some things that you're wrestling with. You're going, uh, I got I to gotta figure some stuff out. I need to get some things right. I've got some priorities that are out of alignment. We're gonna, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up to the front. And during worship, and then after worship, if you would like to come up and pray with the prayer team, they'd love to pray with you and for you. And I just want to remind you, no one's looking, no one's watching, no one's wondering, did you go... Go and actually spend some time and let them contend for you. Pray over you. Pray with you. Maybe you're going, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what my next step is. Maybe we can guide and help you and join together as we try to discern what God is leading us into. Maybe you need to to give. Maybe it's to collective or maybe there's someone on your heart that you're like, "Um, I need to go to my neighbor and I need to give them an envelope with some cash. And I need to not take credit for it. Whatever that is, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to ask God for what you should do and then to do exactly what he said. We want to be a community that lives generously and experiences a life not of just more money, but instead the life that is more in line with the way of Jesus. I want to pray for us and then we're going to worship. Will you stand up with me? God, we are so grateful that you provide for us. We are so grateful that you sent your son to to die for us when we did not deserve it. God, I pray that you would be the one that would guide and speak, that you would interrupt our patterns. And if we look at our life and we think, I'm not moving in the direction that I want to move in, would you disrupt us and cause us to choose differently? That we would sow into a life that is marked by your way of living, not by our sinful nature. God, I pray for miracles when it comes to finances. I pray that there would be people that would be able to give above and beyond generously to to care for neighbors and friends and family that, that only you could take credit for. God, help us to be the answer to other people's prayers. God, have your way. We need you. We trust you and we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.